This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Forging Table. The mission of Undaunted Life is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. At The Forging Table, you'll see a group of regular guys forging spiritual resilience by digging into God's Word, and we're welcoming all of you to come along on that journey with us. That's Eric, that's Matt, that's Zach. I went the opposite way this time, so I didn't end up here because every time I end up to my right, I always say the person's last name. It's super, super weird. Now, again, like I said last time, I could not have been more pleased with the discussion of Matthew 7. There's so much stuff in really all the gospels but like when you get to a chapter like matthew 7 it's like there the golden rules here and you know judge not and no we need to talk about judgment oh gosh we need to talk about the fact that technically no one's going to heaven if we just (laughs) read parts of matthew 7 literally and stuff like that and so we're going to get into matthew 8 today uh so let's just start out zach read verses one through four as we get into this when he came down from the mountain great crowds followed him And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. So Matthew 8 starts out with three straight stories of cleansing, of healing. So this is the first one, the cleansing of the leper. And the thing that's important for us to talk about here is lepers would, if you touched a leper, you were immediately made ritualistically unclean at that exact moment. And so Jesus touching the leper just in and of itself is a big deal. Like it's an absolutely big deal, but it wasn't just that he touched him. It was that he touched him and then he didn't become unclean. He made the leper well. And in this society, like, again, we just miss this because it's 2000 years later and we don't really deal with that. And, you know, leprosy is just kind of a weird thing that we only know about because we read the Bible. But like, it's so hard to encapsulate how just strange it was that Jesus would just touch this guy. But people had to have been aghast as he was stretching out his hand to touch this man. We, we don't see this in the scripture, so I am reading into it a little bit here. There had to have been people that were like, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. Like almost like, don't, don't touch that. That's hot. Like, don't touch that. Like you'll be ritually unclean. And Jesus, as we go back to the ending of Matthew 7, he's the one in authority and he's showing it here, you know? So let's talk a little bit about the leper. So, so Jesus actually walked on this earth. There's more evidence of that than anything else. And as we came out of COVID and everything, this kind of struck me as I was reading this for three years, he had thousands, if not more people following him, that he was healing and touching and breathing their air and with them. And not once do we read about him being sick or him being ill or him having an issue, which is just kind of an objective, I think, you know, data point to keep in mind that's kind of compelling. And like you said, um, yeah, in his day, if he would have touched somebody, regardless of the personal ramifications, you, you would be classified as unclean and couldn't go to the, you know. Well, this, to me, this speaks directly to towards his authority because this guy had to disobey the worldly authority, which in my research, I'm sure this is something you found as well, is lepers were outside of society. They weren't allowed into society. So this guy had to disobey that command to be separated to approach Jesus because he didn't approach him when he was by himself. So he disobeyed a worldly command to seek the authority that was Jesus to be healed. And to me, I just kind of looked at that as like, kind of we're in this place where 
Christians are called to not do that. Not like, hey, don't don't say anything outside of what what the government tells you to do. And here we find an example. This guy was like, yeah, I'm gonna, that guy's the king. Like, I'm going to go get healed by him. Yeah. And at the same, I mean, I'm just imagining him coming through towards the crowds and people are looking and they're parting like the Red Sea. They're like, get out of this guy's way, you know? So he's approaching Jesus, but at the same time, he's not demanding. I just really appreciate the fact that he says, Lord. And, and by the way, I think that's the first time that anybody calls Jesus Lord. Um, in, 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 in the gospels, but he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean, you know? Um, so he wasn't, he didn't come like presupposing, you know, he just came humbly saying, I, you know, I believe that you can do this if you want to. Well, and also at the end there, I've always had some issues with Jesus telling the guy, Hey, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody this. Cause like he had to have known, <laughs> like he had to have known now this leper had to go talk to the local authorities so that he could rejoin society. Because as a leper, as you point out, Matt, they're outside of society. They can't come back in unless they get permission to. So he had to go tell someone, but he didn't have to just spread it like wildfire. So that's always, <coughs> excuse me, I've heard people say that Jesus knew this was going to happen. It was all part of the plan. But then you see in other places, it's like, no, he really didn't want people to hear about this because it was going to throw his ministry for a loop from the very beginning. It was going to crowd out what he was there to do. He wasn't there you know, for the, the miracles and the signs, he was there to, to spread the word that the kingdom of God was near. Right. Um, so I, I don't know what, what do you guys think about I, that? Because it's like, I, I've always struggled with that. I look at this as an order of operations that get, that Jesus is commanding him to commanding him to, he doesn't say, don't ever say anything to anyone about this, but he says, do not say, say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself, go tell somebody about it. But who you're supposed to tell about it? The priest, yeah. Is is the proper order. Go to the priest, go to the tabernacle, go to the temple. That is where you're giving praise. That is where you're giving honor. So it's the right order of operations. You should because if you, if I just met every like the twenty first twenty people that I met after I was healed by Jesus as a former leper, that's keeping me from what Jesus is telling me to do. If that's 10 minutes a piece, that's a lot of time that I'm wasting when Jesus has told me to go make an offering. So I am wasting time and I'm being distracted from what Jesus has called me to do. Yeah. And just think about how many times, I mean, lepers were considered dead men walking, you know, how many times were dead men walking healed? It did not happen very often. And Jesus knew that there was a special ceremony that priests would do. Um, when a leper was healed. And so he knew that that was going to have a testimony in itself when that ceremony uh, occurred. So, Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, one thing I was just, I was reading through uh, Wearsby, and he makes some points on why Jesus does miracles. But at the end of it, it's pretty straightforward. He just says, one thing is certain, Jesus did not perform miracles to get a crowd. In fact, he usually would avoid the crowd. Time after time, Jesus instructed those whom he had healed not to talk too much about it. He did not want people trusting him simply on the basis of spectacular deeds. Faith must be based on his word. And so I think, it, you know, to, to the point, I mean, if everybody's coming, he's going to be crowded and he can't, he's not, it's not the right heart position, you know. Yeah. Well, and also it goes back to when people are like, you know, if Turk asks him, you know, you know, if Christianity were true, would you believe in it? It typically devolves, not devolves in a bad way, but devolves to another question, which is, okay, well, what do you need to see? And people are like, well, I would, I would need to see a miracle. 
But as Ravi Zacharias pointed out, no, we can't say his name anymore. The man who would not be mentioned, uh, the, what is it? The Voldemort of, uh, Christian apologetics. Um, I just made a Harry Potter reference and I've never read the book or like, uh, seen any of the movies. And so that just shows how uh, culturally relevant that is. But anyway, when he basically said, if, if people, if Jesus gave us a million miracles, there would be the people asking for a million and one, there's always going to be that person that kind of has that idea. And so it's interesting to me as I'm reading through and reading these commentaries and it's like, wait, the miracles aren't the point. I'm like, no, 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 they're super the point. It's like, no, you're wrong. They're not the point. The point is that the kingdom of God is near and the, the miracles are signs pointing towards that. But again, we love our bread and circus. And what is more circus than, you know, a sick person being healed, a paralytic being healed or something like that. But then we roll right in to uh, the next section verses five through 13 and we see another healing, but this one is kind of unique to the healings that we've seen so far in Matthew. So Matthew, if you wouldn't mind reading Matthew 5 through 13, let's get it. When he had entered Capernaum, centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, Go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at my table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. So this is a reminder of the context that we're in. We are in a Roman context. And I guess it says something about you, uh, depending upon how often you think about the Roman empire. But here we are as men thinking about the Roman empire. And so it's a reminder that the centurions had sway, that Rome was in charge, even though most of this you know, in terms of authority, we talk about Pharisees, Sadducees, the, the Sanhedrin, but this is a centurion who's in charge of a hundred men. This is a guy that could get things done. And I never noticed this until I studied this time. But in verse eight, when he says, Lord, my servant is lying at home, you know, suffering terribly. And he keeps referring to him as Lord. You can tell that the centurion is sensitive to Jewish law and customs by just referring to him as Lord, because he would be unclean if you were a Jew and you went into a Gentile's home, you would be considered unclean, right? And so the fact that, you know, he was even potentially welcoming a Jew into his home as a Gentile, he knows that this is, this is a weird thing. And so it's almost like the centurion's trying to get, do him a favor, like, hey, bro, I don't want you to be ritually unclean. I know it's going to be a hassle if you actually come into my house. Just, you know, you know, solve my issue through, through the Bluetooth signal. Like, just like, we know that you can just solve it through the ether. And it wasn't like, hey, I'm doing this for convenience, but it was like, this is probably the biggest expression of faith, direct expression of faith from anyone that we've seen so far. And you can see it in Jesus's reaction to where it's like a Gentile, a Roman, right? A centurion. These people hated the Romans. They just kind of tolerated them at best. And then he's like, this is more faith. And this guy probably hadn't read, you know, he was okay with Jewish customs and law, but you think he read the Pentateuch? Do you think like he was big on the law of Moses or any of those types of things, but he could see it and he didn't have any of these things in the way of him being able to see Jesus as divine. And Jesus, it, he marveled, 
Where does mm-hmm. it say that about any disciple that Jesus calls? It doesn't. And he's like he, and I think it's a very you you got you can't you shouldn't miss this because he's talking to a Gentile, like you said. Like he marveled at his faith. He came for the Jews. He came to preach the gospel to the Jews. And here you have this guy who is outside of the chosen people of God, like showing more faith than the people of God. And Jesus marveled. What a what I mean, you gotta you gotta think that the centurion knew that he just had this one one opportunity, you know, and, uh, you know, he didn't want to mess it up at the same time. He, he, you know, as you've already said, he didn't want to put Jesus out either. He's just like, you know, I, you say, I mean, I, I, I don't know if he read anything or not, but I, I mean, it was thinking of Genesis one. So it's like, and God spoke and it happened, you know? And so it's almost like he was having that kind of faith that just, you know, all you got to do is say it, you know, that, that is the power of your word. Everyone's got something to say on this one. So, so y'all go ahead. I'll remember my point. Everyone got say, excited also, to jump in. It's also curious that he, like the, the humility that he comes to Jesus with, he didn't come like my wife, my kid. I have a servant at home who is suffering terribly. He could have, and, and, and I, they could have, he could have killed that servant. Yes. He, yeah, could, he had the authority he, to he do that. He had the authority to do so because that servant was useless to him. And he said, I have a servant at home who is suffering terribly. Not I have a servant who's paralyzed, who can't do anything for me anymore. And that really sucks. I really need my house in order. Jesus, can you take care of this for me? My servant is suffering terribly. Can you relieve that suffering for him? What a humble way to come to our Lord and Savior. And obviously Jesus recognized that. So did you have something to say on that too, Zach? Uh, Yeah, I'd like to real quick. Uh, I didn't know this, but it, I'll just read this. It says twice in the gospels, twice the gospels record that Jesus was amazed or marveled here. Uh, and at the faith of the Gentile officer or at the faith of the Gentile officer and in Mark six, six at the unbelief, unbelief of the yeah. Jews, this is an early indication that the Jews would not believe, but the Gentiles would also in both of these miracles, our Lord healed from a distance. This was a reminder of the spiritual position of the Gentiles without God in the world. That's amazing. And, and so I was literally thinking, wow. Yeah. I mean, that's, that, that's, that's heavy to just like even try to move past that. But in terms of amazement, because of the faith of the centurion, again, I, I want to be very careful when I read into something that's not actually here, but do, do we think, well, what do you guys think that the centurion like ran home and knew what he's, was he, what he was going to walk into? Did he kind of just calmly, because like, look, if you walk into your home and you know everything's there and nothing's wrong, you just kind of walk in like it's normal versus walking in expectantly or, you know, maybe one of your kids got in trouble and you're walking in ready, you know, for this battle or whatever. I tend to think if I were to guess that the centurion just went on about his normal day knowing that this was done. And when he got home and the servant was well, he wasn't shocked by it. He, he didn't, his you know heart rate didn't tick up. He didn't need to see the healed servant because he had faith in Jesus from like in that moment that it was going to happen. Does that make sense? When I'm, when I'm trying to say, like, I don't think he went in and was just like, Oh my gosh, it really works. Like, I, I think he was just like, yeah, yeah. I, I believe that Jesus is the man. I think that that's true. And I think because Jesus speaks to the level of faith that this man has, that that was the faith that he had. It wasn't a God. Now I got to go check it out. And I got to, I got to make sure that Jesus is right. I think you're, I think there's probably some, some truth to that. This is just a small thing. I didn't know this either. Um, this says in Luke's account, others came to Jesus on his behalf. Yeah, the intermediaries. But Matthew mm-hmm. does not yep. mention them. So the accounts are not contradictory. Matthew, as is often the case, simply abbreviates the story. He actually reports what the centurion said through 
his messengers based on the idea that what a person does through an agent is what the person himself does. So I guess it's possible that he was home when this occurred and they, you know, could, could, could figure out if the times were the same, but regardless, I'm sure his main reaction was relief <laughs> and, and marveling himself. Yeah, absolutely. Again, there's, there's more there. Well, actually I do want to talk about one thing before we move on. Uh, hell seems pretty terrible. If you go to verse 12, uh, <laughs> in the place that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So when you, when you actually break down the word gnashing, like that would be as if you are grinding your teeth. So I'm an extreme mouth, like night grinder, right? My dentist literally had to go to extra schooling. Like, I'm not kidding. He had to go to extra schooling because of how aggressive my night grinding was, right? I would get these brand new night guards and six months later for my checkup, I would show him my night guard. And he's like, no, no, that's the old one. I need to see the new one. I'm like, bro, that's the new one. So I'm like a shark. I will bite down and then I will saw with the bottom level. And sorry, it probably has nothing to do with my personality or how tightly I'm wound. It's completely, completely uh, random that I'm a, a extreme grinder. Science, yeah. yeah, no, no, it's, it's just whatever. But like in that exact uh, scenario, you've got, uh, if you're gnashing your teeth, it's not just that you're uncomfortably rubbing them together. It's that you're grinding and biting down so hard that you are destroying them. Like think about what you would have to do to gnash your teeth and break them. Like as, as conscience, as you are conscious right now, you are awake and what you would have to do to break all your teeth on purpose. And then now extrapolate that out to the rest of time. Right. And who is he saying it about? He like, he, that's a very offensive thing to say when he says many will come from East and West and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. He's not, he's talking about people outside of Jerusalem, people mm-hmm. outside of Israel, right. people outside of the chosen Gentiles. people of God. That's a very offensive thing to say. And, and I'm sure. Wait that, a minute. Jesus never said anything offensive. <laughs> Jesus is super nice. 11th commandment. Thou shalt be nice. Yeah. Like Jesus always followed that. <laughs> Wrong. That's the thing. Whenever you read through the actual gospel accounts, you see that Jesus was not just this guy that floated everywhere. He went giving out compliments and sheep to everybody. Like this is a guy that yeah. said very, very brutal things on a regular basis. And there's a little bit more here as we mm-hmm. get further into Matthew 8. He gets actually incredibly brutal. But real quick, I do want to take a quick aside. So if you listened last week, you got to hear the full on commercial about this. But we have actually partnered with Crossway because we've been asked a lot about, hey, man, I want to start a forging table. What types of things should I get? So we have created a forging table starter set. So these are five books that if you go to the Crossway website, I'll give you the instructions here in a little bit. You put all five of these books in your cart, you will get the entire set for 50% off. You literally cannot get a better deal anywhere on the internet. So this is the set, the brand new ESV men's study Bible. Then we got the book of Romans scripture journal study edition. So that's like the study uh, journals with the actual uh, ESV study notes in the bottom margin is great. There is a devotional from Paul David Tripp called new morning mercies. There's also a book called The Beauty and Power of Biblical Exposition by Douglas O'Donnell. This gives you a sense of the different types of writings in the Bible, categorical writings. And then a great book called Family Shepherds from Vody Bauckham for any man that is wanting to lead and shepherd their family well. So it's just a three-step process to get that. Again, this is not a commercial. This is not paid. This is specifically for your benefit. Step one, go to crossway.org and create a free Crossway Plus account. 
Step two, put all the books that I'm going to have listed here in the show notes, put all those books in your cart. And then when you go to checkout, use this promo code BSSP50 to get 50% off at checkout. That is Bravo, Sierra, Sierra, Papa, five, zero. That will help you to get that. So guys, if you're wanting to start your own forging table, that right there is the best stack of books that we could possibly think of. And so we're so thankful to Crossway working with us on that so that you could get them at an extreme discount. But to go even further into what we're seeing here in Matthew A, we need to keep things going with another healing. So who hasn't read yet? All right, Browning. So uh, let's hit up uh, Matthew 8 verses 14 through 17, please. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. So I'm pretty sure this is right, but isn't Isaiah 53, isn't that the one where uh, I'm like literally looking it up? That's the one that the Jews skip in Jewish school because it's too prophetic. They they take that out of the book. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, whenever you're looking for, okay, how do we know that Jesus is the one that was foretold in scripture? Yeah, it's, it's Isaiah 53. And so in like Jewish school for boys, like they will not teach Isaiah 53. They will literally skip over it because it is literally pointing directly to uh, the prophetic things that were fulfilled in Christ. But whenever you look at, he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. It goes back to something I think that you maybe said, uh, Zach, on the last podcast. We have nothing described here about Jesus ever getting sick, but he was fully man. So you would assume, again, I'm very careful about assuming things that aren't here in the text. He had to have gotten the sniffles. Like, did, did he maybe there was there some sort of pollen in the in the in Galilee at some point that made him, you know, sneeze or something like that? So I'm just you're looking at me funny, man. I'm just saying there had to have been something like he couldn't have gone his entire life without, you know, eating a, a bad fish and having, you know, a GI tract issue or something the like that. Fig pollen is super high. <laughs> yeah, that's what I hear. Just you got to be very careful this time of year. He had to have had a bad olive. that entire amount of olives. There wasn't a bad one. Like, get out of here. But like so. But I think that's important. It said he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Like this isn't talking about a cold or cancer. This is talking about really the, the illness and disease of eternal separation from God. Uh, am I understanding that correctly? Cause as I was studying, that was what I was getting. The gist. I, think, I think so. When we talk about imputation, there's the imputation of his righteousness for us, but then in turn, there is the imputation of our unrighteousness to him. So he bears our sin on the cross. Like, I, yeah, I think, I think you're understanding that correctly. And I, yeah, that's a very, very interesting way to look at that. No, I, I, I had that same thought and that's great. <clears throat> One of the things that I liked about that short um, section was that it was, it was a, a sickness with a fever. It wasn't necessarily life or death. And I liked the fact that it does not have to be a life or death issue for us to pray or to seek healing. And I liked also how as soon as Jesus healed her, she got up and started to serve. And so the healing that we receive also sets us in a place where we then can serve the kingdom. So I did appreciate that. And then I was reminded of King Hezekiah. Remember when he was, I think he was real sick and was going to die and he prayed and prayed and prayed. <clears throat> how God said, okay, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to heal you and let you live for, I think 15 more years, something like that. Um, and how the error then can be that uh, as he, 
initially had was to not praise God in that, but instead to bring the Babylonians in and show them all their treasure, all the, the treasure of the of Israel and whatnot, and how that brought then a curse upon the people as a result of that. So there are different ways that we can respond to being healed, and uh, Peter's mother-in-law was a good one. Absolutely. Let's go ahead and keep moving, and let's do verses 18 through 22. Zach, hit it. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. So that's a well-known verse. Let the dead bury their dead. Uh, that's even kind of culturally, like it's a colloquialism at this point where people say, you know, let the dead bury their dead. And they maybe don't know what that means. But are all of everyone at the table, is everybody's dad still with us? Okay. So I, you know, as a son, at least for me, I'll speak for me. The thought of losing my dad is devastating, right? Because there's no bigger fan of me and the things that I'm doing in my life than my father. Even, even my wife, even my kids, no one's a bigger fan than my dad. And so I, I think, you know, about, okay, one of these days, if things go according to plan, right, in terms of how things are supposed to work out, I will have to bury my dad. And I think about what Jordan Peterson talks about, be the one man at your father's funeral that everybody can depend on. I've seen men in my life lose their father and I've watched them just be rocks for their family and not know how they're doing that and how they're pulling that off. And so even in our modern context where we don't really value old people, we just stick them in homes and, you know, we, we, we bite the bullet and pay for it. And then we just, you know, kind of wait for them to die. And that that's just kind of like a thing that we do. We, we don't really bring old people into our home. We don't have multi-generational families. That's not really something that we see here in the West. Even in that, even in our context, this seems brutal. Let the dead bury their dead. But in that context, there weren't old folks homes, right? There weren't these things where it's like, okay, they're going to be on hospice. You know what? We're going to sanitize it and we're just going to bring everybody in while grandma or grandpa is still decent and, you know, they can say their goodbyes. There was none of that, right? In this culture, for, for Jesus to say, leave the dead to bury their own dead, that's what we were talking about earlier. It doesn't get much more brutal than this. But in that moment, he draws a line in the sand and says, you are either with me or you are not. And if, if you can follow me, even up to the point where you would allow the dead to bury their dead and to not worry about burying your father, that, that's a huge deal. There's so much wrapped up in this, but I, that just, that hit me as being very important to mention. I think, I think too, like he's, the cost of following him is great, but, but in that culture, you bury your dad, you're, that's when you get your inheritance. Mm-hmm. I think, think there's a direct call to say, hey, whoa. That's not the inheritance that you're actually looking for. If you're going to follow me, the inheritance isn't that. It's me. It's me, and it's greater than that. And so give up your worldly possessions is one of the calls that he's making there too. Like, don't, don't waste your time with that. Because I'm sure that was part of his mindset. I'm going to bury my dad so I can get my money. Yeah, that's I, true. I had never come across this, but I'll just read this part. Um, it says in verse 22, Jesus was not asking the man to be disrespectful to his father who is not yet dead but to have the right priorities in life. It would be better to preach the gospel and give life to the spiritually dead than to wait for one's father to die and bury him. 
So if this is the case, I, I guess what it's saying is this man, based on the language, the specific translation of the language, was saying, as soon as my father dies at some point in the future, I'd like to come follow you, which is slightly different. It's a different read than what you're saying, because what you're saying is absolutely correct. But I think Jesus is harsh because this person's heart, once again, is not in the right position with priorities. Yes. And, and that's where I was, I was leaning to is just that Jesus knows the heart of that man. And so he's saying something that's challenging him. Um, you know, Jesus was interested in quality over quantity yeah. of disciples and followers. And I think so that was a challenge. I remember when I left Oklahoma state, <clears throat> I, I wanted to find someone that could, um, yes, spiritual mentor to me. And I met a, a guy named Dan and Dan and I talked on at least two or three different occasions. And I said, this is what I want to do when I moved to Oklahoma city, um, to do my graduate work. And I remember uh, the second time we met, he said, you know, I'm just in thinking about this. I, I just don't think you have the time and you're about to start grad school. You're going to be super busy. You're going to you know, pour yourself into this. And I, and I was like, Dan, like, this is what I want. I want to continue to be poured into by someone. And I know that you have the resources to do that. And uh, so he thought about it and then he gave me a, a Bible study that was fairly sizable and he handed it to me. He said, I tell you what, when you finish this, call me and we'll talk. And so I went home and in two weeks I got it done and called him and I, not that he was marveling or anything like that, but I think he was impressed enough because uh, then he set up an appointment with me to meet a gentleman that he had uh, because he wanted, he didn't want just another guy that was going to give half effort into discipleship and being uh, mentored and didn't want to set a guy up for failure. He wanted that, that quality over quantity. This is a side note. And this is just some things that I think of. So Matthew obviously doesn't write anything in, in like order here, but he says one, like one of the disciples, who was it? Was it Matthew? Like, do, do we know? And I always think like, was it Matthew? Because Matthew's writing the book, right? He doesn't name this disciple by name. So it's like, was it you, man? Like, was it you that, that actually <laughs> yeah, wanted, wanted, to, wanted to go? Wanted to go? Was, it, was it actually you? Um, I mean, I don't, think, I don't think we know that, but I just, it's interesting that it just says another of the disciples. Well, it is interesting in terms of the timeline, because at some point, Matthew would have been definitely separated from his mother and father because of his job as a tax collector. Like, he would have been very likely disowned by, by his father because it was so reprehensible that your son would be a tax collector. So... Maybe like, and there, there's a whole lot that that's there in that maybe they're, they've been kind of reconciled, but that is interesting. He names everybody else. And then he's like, ah, yeah, some disciple, just, just <laughs> some, guy. some rando. Uh, but yeah, it, it's an absolutely uh, brutal thing to think about. But again, Jesus is, is trying to make the standard clear. Uh, and again, it kind of goes back to the cost. The cost of following him is everything. Like it's not the things that you're willing to bring when it's convenient. It is everything. Yeah. And we, we all have, you know, our bo- everything in us wants to take the pathway of least resistance. My dad used to say that excuses are like noses. Everybody's got one, you know, so it's. it's that's not the body part I heard. That's not, whenever, yeah, ever, that's not what, what I heard. Yeah, either. I haven't heard that one. He said noses. <laughs> did he really say he noses? You're not he sanitizing did. that for the table? <laughs> Get out of here. Get out. There may have been something else said on the football field. Mm, I yeah. don't know. but Yeah. Uh, Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's get into the next thing here. The funny thing about this next section, uh, verses 23 through 27 is how short it is and how crazy of a story this is uh-huh. to only get a handful of verses. So who, who read last? I, I, I kind of lost track. All right, Matt, let's hit it. All right. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep and they went and woke him saying, save us, Lord. 
we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm, and the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even winds and sea obey him? So a couple of points, and then I'll just wind you all up and let you go. Uh, This story should make us incredibly fearful of God, right? Because God incarnate in the form of a man can li- <laughs> he screamed at the, the, the storm and said, stop it. Like, that's enough, right? And just, it, we've all been in that situation where kids are fighting or maybe even it's like family fighting. Every family's got that one guy, you know, Uncle John. When Uncle John finally says something, everybody shuts up. And if Uncle John like claps his finger and says, hey, that's enough. Everyone just kind of, you know, this is like the ultimate version of that. So I want y'all to flow on that a little bit. But also, the disciples still don't get it. Again, in terms of the chronology of Matthew, the disciples, the apostles have not been called yet. The 12 have not been called yet. So he's in a boat with somebody, but we assume it's with the 12, but they still don't get it. The, apparently the centurion does. The, the centurion gets it. But the fact that it says here that they marveled, like how much more does this guy need to show you? Again, this is early in his ministry. But it's like they're following a guy saying that they believe he is the, the spoken of Christ. And yet they're just like, what? Like they're like Hillary Clinton when all the balloons started coming down in 2016 at the, the DNC convention. What? Like they're just kind of like freaking out. So y'all flow in either one of those, like how this story uh, should make us fear God, but also how apparently the disciples still just haven't gotten the thread. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Matthew ends this whole, his whole gospel with that. And I, I mean, Jesus is just literally, I mean, he's asleep, right? And so when I'm reading this, and you're right, it is very short, but it is a very powerful story. When I'm reading this, I, I go, I just go to the holiness of God. And I, I recently read The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul. And if you want to get into a really good, like, exposition of God and his holiness, like he's sleeping because he's just not concerned. And I think of that, the story of Uzzah, when he, he tries to catch the Ark of the Covenant and God kills him right where he stands because he was so audacious that he thought the ground or the, the Ark hitting the ground would be worse than his unclean hand touching it. And Sproul says something to the effect of, nature is not the one in rebellion here. Nature does what God wants it to do. The rain comes down when God wants it to come down. The river goes where God tells it to go. Nature is not in rebellion. Man is. And I, I just, I can't help but think about that when he, he's literally asleep because he's just not worried about it. Nature's going to do what I tell it to do. And then he just, he says stop and the storm stops because he is the king of the universe. When we, we marvel things that are powerful because it's kind of like when people, because I think we're all mainly mountains people. We're not really beach people, but when you go and you see these fact vast mountain ranges, are you a beach person? No, I said fact check true. I'm oh, fact check true. I thought yeah. you were like, that's not true. Zach, are you beach or mountains? Mostly mountains, but beach and is bad. Mountains. Okay, mountain men sitting at this table, varying <laughs> levels of beard strength. But what, the, the thing that's interesting <laughs> about, <laughs> we literally got like clean shaven, mustache, you know, five o'clock shadow beard yeah, and then yeah, full yeah, beard. Yeah. So anyway, I had to kind of put it all out there. But you, when you see these mountain ranges and you marvel at it, you're like, that is just simply incredible. But I remember studying this whenever I was studying, whenever Jesus told Lazarus to come out of the tomb, the same Greek word used to describe the voice that he used to call 
Lazarus back from death is the same voice or the same word used to describe how crazy this storm was. Like, so just think about that. Think about a, a storm where you're in the water and you think we're about to die. That level of storm. This isn't a light sprinkling, right? It's that same voice. And so that same marveling that the disciples had that he was able to rebuke the wind and the rain had to have elicited the same feeling to the people that saw him call Lazarus out of the grave because it was that same, I can't think of one that would, like which one would freak you out more? The fact that this dude was dead and he's not dead anymore or the fact that the guy turned the light switch off on the thunderstorm? Like that's crazy either way. What was the level of of the thunderstorm? These guys weren't, they weren't un- they were initiated they, they, on the ways of the sea. Knew, like they knew yeah, what they, they were doing. They knew what they were doing. It yeah. wasn't like some first time guy gets in the boat and the first, you know, the first thunder he hears, he's, he's, you know, in the fetal position in the back of the boat. These right. guys were, they were trained and they knew, they knew how to navigate and they'd seen a storm or two. Mm-hmm. And so to elicit the fear that this storm got had to, I mean, that had to just be so immense, which speaks to just God's power even more that they were so scared and God was like, I got this. Yeah, and it's not like I don't feel like Jesus woke up and was like super annoyed with them. He might have been annoyed, but I don't I'm not not in a sinful way, obviously. He, but it, I do know that uh, it it seems like he was more disturbed about their own personal fear as opposed to their faith that everything was going to be okay. Yeah, and if you look at the, it's just hard to get your mind around. You look at the pictures of the boat. I guess they uncovered one that they think was pretty similar mm-hmm. from two thousand years ago. I mean, just the fact that he was sleeping in the first place in an open, exposed boat by itself is pretty interesting. I go back to that statement that just says, be still and know that I am God. And so the idea for me is, you know, if you're following God, just have faith, trust him. He's in full control. And uh, I, I couldn't even imagine what it would have been like to see this. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's hit the last part of Matthew 8 here. So, Eric, if you can read verses 28 through 34. And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tomb so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. So this is a crazy story for a lot of reasons. Um, This is one of the first times that we see in Matthew where we're really digging into kind of demons and getting an idea of how demons operate and what they're thinking. And one of the first things that I wrote down in terms of this entire section is that these demons are more afraid and reverent of the power of God than many Christians are. Mm-hmm. Because Christians, yeah. and again, churches, I think, do a really good job of aiding in this, in this thing that's not very good. But it's, we don't get a full idea of who God is because we just think of God as, you know, my homeboy. He's, not, he's nice and boyfriend. he gives me all these great things, boyfriend Jesus. And, you know, God is for me, so who can be against me? And God's just going to bless me regardless of my decisions. And, you know, this is, this is all fine and dandy. And it's just like, man, these demons, like, they're on the wrong side 
of the ledger here, but they understand who God is and what he can do. And the thing that, that is that they give up here is in verse 29, you know, why have you to do, or what have you to do with us? O son of God, have you come here to torment us before the time? Demons know that their days are numbered. Like that, that's a huge deal before the time. They know that the time is coming. They know that their days are numbered. Um, it, it begs the question is like, so can demons die? Like, and I don't know that we should necessarily get into a discussion on the ethereal here. Like, hey, can, can demons, can spirits die? But anyway, but we do know that a time will come where there will be the last death and that Satan and the third of the angels that he took with him when he was cast out of heaven will be p- pitched into the lake of fire. And I just... This is a very interesting thing. This is very screw tape letters to me to where it's just kind of like we're getting to hear that discussion between screw tape and wormwood to a degree, but we're getting to hear it's almost like the demons they're like, "Jesus, can you just do us a favor, man? Like we really like our job. We really like messing with all these people. Like, man, just just kind of like take it easy on us, right? Like just cast us into the pigs. Like it's just we give demons so much power in terms of culture and then we just completely miss out on the fact that God is all powerful. Yeah, it seems like people almost go to like a Lord of the Rings type, you know, thought where it's good versus evil and they're on the other side. These are created beings by this person slash God that's walking. Right. As I read this whole paragraph, I only see two red letters. It just says go. That's the only thing Jesus says after they do all of this talking. He's in full control. And so when we think about being fearful of something, first of all, be fearful of God. And he created this whole situation. Yeah, and they even, they had to have permission to even yeah. go torment pigs, right? Yeah, that's right. So Jesus had to grant them that. That was and, interesting to me. And they, they call him the son of God. Like, they know. Like, like you're saying, Kyle, like they knew. They knew exactly who he was. Like, even the demons know who God is. So is Jesus. it weird at this point that so far, in terms of the chronology of Matthew, the only people to really, truly acknowledge the deity of him is a Gentile, the Roman centurion, and demons. I, I think Matthew is laying his case out for the Jews and he's calling them, say, he, see, see even Gentiles and demons yeah. call him the son of God. Why won't you? Mm-hmm. I think that's his call. Um, and again, all authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. And he just, he says, all right, go. It, it's also interesting to me that he, he has, he casts them to swine. They're obviously not pearls. They're not holy. Don't cast what is holy to swines. He casts them out into pigs. And I, I, God is a God of details. And I, I just think that's an interesting overlap from chapter seven into chapter eight, where he says, don't give to pigs what is holy. But then he says, all right, yeah, yeah, go, go. Also, man, that had to suck as the herder of those pigs. You just lost a whole bunch of pigs. That's right. your livelihood. Like, man, that stinks. Well, I, wanna, I would like to think that that's the only thing that explains their reaction. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus in whom they, and they, they begged him to leave their region. I was like, that's an odd reaction. They just watched him cast out two demons. and They're like, oh, bro, you got to get out of here. But, you know, from a business standpoint, it's like, hey, man, a bunch of money just jumped into the river here. Like, this is a problem for me and my family. So people that had goats and sheep and cattle and horses and all that in that region had to have been like, all right, man, we don't need demons. Can you cast the demons into the rocks next time? We'll throw the rocks. We'll even lift them up and throw them into the river. So that's probably the like human based portion, but that's me being very generous. I think that they were just so terrified at the power of what they saw that they were just like, 
uh, overloaded. Like, dude, just get out. Just get out of here. I, I can't have this. I, I, I don't know. I, I think I think you can rock with that because where was their heart? Jesus didn't. Jesus, Jesus was like, all right, cool. I'm, I'm leaving. Romans 1, God gave them up. They, 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 maybe they put their their faith in money and it's been taken from them. Now my livelihood is gone. At least this part of it is gone. Like I, this stinks. Could you get out of here because you've taken some of our, our monetary opportunity away from us? And she's like, Oh yeah, sure. God gave them up to their, to the, to the lusts of their, their heart. And I, I, I think that's, that's certainly something that we could take from this. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I, one thing, this is, this is sort of the intangible world that we don't know. We can't see interfacing with the tangible world. And so you recently had some shirts made talking about the armor of God. Mm-hmm. You know, I think this underscores how critical that is because we've talked about believing and following Jesus, but we, we need to be spending the time reading the word and putting on the full armor of God mm-hmm. because of situations like this that are just as real as all the other things that we've read about. Well, Zach, as you're saying that, I wonder what if these, these people from the city, what if they were prepared for something like what they saw with Jesus? And so I, I have to wonder in myself, like, am I faithful enough? Have I put on the full armor of God to where if I actually got to see something that is just undeniably a massive move of God that I wouldn't react by just, oh my gosh, I got to get out of here. Or the just where I could like see it and appreciate it for what it is. Because you've, we've heard of stories where that happens to people where something is so overwhelming that's clearly a move of God and they just kind of accept it. I, I think of Mike Dragic that was on, or Dragic that was on my show, MMA fighter that was shot point blank range and took off running. And the fact that he was with one of his few friends that hunted and that because of that, he was able to track his friend's blood and found him in a, in a backyard. And here he is. And like the fact that three weeks later he was at like boot camp for the Marines, he was shot in his shoulder right with a 45 uh ACP and like blew his shoulder away and it was like a literal miracle where the doctors are like dude we can't explain this like you should not have been able to use your shoulder ever again you shouldn't even be alive much less any of that and the my very first thing when i heard that story was skepticism you pressed I was like, him you yeah, pressed him i pressed him on the show and i was like yeah but and i kind of removed myself from him like some people would say <laughs> That that sounds <laughs> kind of stupid. Not that me, you're but leaving, some people. Yeah, some people. Maybe you're leaving out a detail. Maybe it wasn't three weeks. Maybe it was three years, and you had a good buddy, like a live-in person that like fixed all your problems. I'm pointing at Eric right here. He's got magic hands and fixes injuries. But again, yeah, like my natural mo is to be very skeptical of I those stories. In. When you when you asked the question, I leaned in. I wanted to hear what he had to say. Seriously. Well, what do you think about what he said? So, so go back, guys. If you're listening to this, this was a few months ago. But my interview with Mike Dragic. I mean, to me, it just came across as you guys believe whatever you want, but this yeah. is what I'm telling you. He, did, this, he dismissed me right back. Yeah. He's, like, <laughs> he's like, I don't care what you have to now, say. Now you asked, so I'm going to tell you the story. He kind of explained it and it's unexplainable. I mean, what do you say? It's just, you know, this but is what is he it, believes. But isn't that the gospel, the personal gospel? Like you can yeah. say, God saved me. I don't believe it. You can believe whatever you want. Yeah. God snatched me up and I am, I am clothed in his righteousness now. It's a very personal thing. It doesn't really matter what other people think. It doesn't really matter what other people say. That I am in Christ is is a very personal story to me and whoever whoever has that. I mean, have any of y'all had any stories like that where you saw something that just wasn't explainable? I have one, mm-hmm. but I didn't, I don't feel like I really experienced it. I'm trying to remember the details even off the top of my head, but uh, my dad, you know, he was 
born in the era and raised in the era where you could just smoke cigarettes and it was no big deal and no one ever got sick and you know the Marlboro man and all that but I think whenever I was like two and my sister was three he had some cancerous like you know patches or whatever kind of come up on his esophagus and it's like I think at this time my dad's not even 30 yet right he's he's a young father and now he's like looking at death in the face like holy crap like and then it was a couple of weeks later, he went back for his next scan and it was completely clear, like almost as if the first scan, you could easily explain it away. Well, they just switched up the scans, <laughs> you know, you could just explain it. Oh, it had to have gotten mixed up with someone else's chart, but let's assume that the people at this facility kind of knew what they were doing and they had no explanation for it. Like, look, this is, this is bad. We're looking at esophageal cancer. We need to start thinking about treatment. Very next scan, nothing. And it's like, that was enough for my dad to quit cold turkey smoking at that exact moment. Cause it was, this is not a religious man. He's still not a religious man. And it's just kind of like, I think someone's trying to tell me something here. And so like, I've, I've rolled my last, you know, free dice. I pushed in my last few chips that were on the house. Like that's enough. I'm pulling out. But aside from that, I have personally not experienced a story where there is not a logical explanation, a medical scientific or otherwise explanation for this other than God was like, nope. Not yet. I was just trying to get your attention. I don't have anything medically to put there. I, I know a lot of people who do. Um, but w- very early on in Caitlin and I's marriage, we didn't make a lot of money. Like many young mm. married people, we were broke. I mean, there were some months where it was like 12 cents in, in the bank account after all bills were paid. And we made a very conscious decision uh, to uh, donate to a ministry. And during a few months, I mean, we were, I mean, we were very seriously considering, man, this is a few hundred bucks. That would go a long way. We just pulled out. And to Caitlin's credit, um, ministering to me as a husband, no, I, think, I think this is something we need to do. And we decided to be faithful. Okay, God provides. Let's just go with it. And there are a couple months where there shouldn't have been money in the bank account to pay for bills. And there just was. And I can't explain it to this day outside of God provides. And that was a standing stone moment for us. Caitlin writes all these things down. She's very good at that, like understanding that our prayer was, man, what do we do? And very clearly it was, well, keep doing that and God will provide. And I, I, I have no idea how that happened, but it did. And I don't care what a banker looks at me and tells me, and I never ask, but if they, well, we can explain this. Is, I, I don't care. I know what I saw and I know what should have happened and I know what did. So what about you guys? Anything ever come up for, and I don't mean a story that you heard from somebody, but like your story that you heard or felt, don't be forced to make something or make yeah, it up. No. Just make sure it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I guess you can make it up. No one, who yeah. will know? No, nobody. Well, my wife will be like, wait, what? what yeah. a, wait a minute. We did what? She's not allowed to yeah, listen to this. I don't yeah. have anything. Uh, yeah, I do. I'll, I'll share one. Um, so, when I got into college, I was working in the oil field and I was driving uh, uh, trucks. I was delivering drill bits and I was driving all over Oklahoma and Texas. At the time, I was stationed in Pampa, Texas, which is beautiful. If you ever have a chance, go to Pampa, Texas. Um, and towards the end of that summer, I was coming back to go back to college and it was my last week. And they asked me to exchange pickups with somebody who is based there locally and bring the other one back to Oklahoma City. And I was ready to get back, spend a little bit of time with friends and all that before everything, you know, the school year started and all that. So 
I uh, was on my way back on I-40 and I was about 30 miles west of um, Oklahoma City. And I remember thinking how anxious I was to get back at the time. And uh, it was probably speeding a little bit, not much. Uh, I want to be careful about what I say here, but um, <laughs> uh, I, statute of limitations. I think you're okay. <laughs> this is a weird thing uh, that I haven't really talked about a lot, but I literally had a thought I remember in my mind about um, sh- surely God would never do that. Or, you know, like the thought of something happening as a result of me being in a hurry to get back, almost like a putting God to the test feeling. Within a few seconds, my rear tire uh, exploded on the driver's side. And this was an F-250. And I was going 70-something miles an hour. Very quickly, I was, I was, my truck started bouncing and I was going backwards like 60-something miles an hour on the highway. And then eventually I started to skid over toward the, the side of the road. And it's pretty flat over there, but there was a little bit of a dip. And I remember my truck started to turn and I just closed my eyes and I, I kind of cocooned around the steering wheel and just remember waiting for pain. And the truck flipped like nine times. And then I remember opening my eyes and it kind of rolled over one more time and I was upside down. And clearly in shock, you know, everything was destroyed. Um, as, I, as, I, as I remember it, I looked over and literally the truck formed a void around my body. The roof was touching the seat of the passenger seat. And then everything behind me was destroyed completely. And I crawled out of the windshield. Um, and very quickly, some people started to arrive on the scene. And they didn't know if I had made it because I guess a dirt cloud exploded around the vehicle. So it was hard to see what, would, what had happened. Uh, but I was walking around. Meanwhile, it was completely totaled. And um, I remember a police officer came and he had me sit down. And he said, you're in shock. And then eventually they strapped me, the ambulance came and they strapped me to the, um, the board. You know, they strap your head down and your hands and everything. And that's when I started to panic. Get me out of this. I don't want to be tied down. And it was super aggressive. And eventually they unstrapped my hand long enough that I could sign a waiver that they would let me go. And that's what they did. So they left. I sat down probably against company policy at the time. And that sheriff drove me uh, into town into a gas station and a friend of mine came and picked me up. And as I think about it, there's no explanation for why I walked out of that with no scratch, no physical harm whatsoever. The vehicle was literally completely totaled and there was a physical space just around the cavity of my body. And then I walked out. And I, as I think about it now, I actually told this story to my son last night. He's like, that's not true. I'm like, well, you can go out. Yeah, it is. You know, there's evidence. Um, mm. It seems like maybe, you know, God at the same time, maybe was saying, don't put me to the test. Maybe put me through an experience that I'll never forget. That's unexplainable, um, but preserved me for the future. Uh, so it's obviously something that I've never forgotten about. I can't explain. It doesn't make any sense. And, you know, maybe it was just perfectly natural, but I don't think so. It was over a decade later before you came to faith in Christ yeah. at that point. Right. Wow. Well, I don't want to ruin that story with any of my commentary, so I'm just going to close the episode out, guys. So I'm it's not going to let either one of y'all say anything either. All right, we're going to cut it there. Zach, <laughs> I really appreciate you sharing that with us, but 
we're going to have to leave it there, our discussion of Matthew 8, but come back here next Sunday where we are going to get into a discussion of Matthew 9. So make sure you read through Matthew 9 before we come back here next week. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So if you want to get your own forging table starter set through Crossway, all the instructions are here in the show notes. And also I've got a link to our donation page. Guys, I say it every week. The only way we're able to pull off this content is because we have donors. Be a donor, be a part of the team. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And also we want to thank the band Holy Name for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song Perpetua, which is off their self-titled debut album on Face Down Records. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah.